You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Celtic Stuff Live. All right, welcome back. Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Poole, and we've got a good one as the off-season interview series continues into the preseason. Monday, John Duke returned to Celtic Stuff Live. We had you all primed up for media day and training camp, and now we're going to bring you Chad Finn. As we mentioned on Monday's show, we are going to have four more interviews in the off-season interview series carried into the preseason. So today is Chad Finn. Coming up next Thursday will be Eric Weiss. The following Thursday, you will hear from Mark Spears. And then the Thursday after that, we'll close out the off-season into preseason interview series with a retro interview back uh, with Earl Lloyd in, uh, I believe, 2009. So I think everybody will really enjoy that. Before we get into it with Chad Finn, just a reminder to follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as your host, myself, at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke, as well as the entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. And as you know, on Media Day, the Facebook page was heating up. Make sure you head over there, check out all of those great interviews from CLNS and our buddy Jared Weiss, as well as Joe Sway, who has done an amazing job covering media day go to facebook.com forward slash clns fans download our app for clns radio ios and android simply search clns radio in your app marketplace and go to the youtube channel you'll see all of those media day interviews there as well youtube.com forward slash clns radio high definition full-length locker room interviews and the garden report with jared weiss coming at you all this season as we get underway so we're now going to turn it over to the off-season interview series, one of the last interviews we're going to be doing here, closing out the preseason with it, and Chad Finn, and also John Duke, who is back in the saddle again to join me for the interview. So let's go right to it. Chad Finn of Boston.com, really helping us get 
pretty close to the end of this off-season interview series, and I'm also thankful to be joined by my regular co-host, John Duke, to close out this series. A couple more to go, and a, thing, a few things I want to mention before we get started with Chad. Number one is that Bobby Manning's interview with Chad for the Bobcast here on CLNS Radio is really been the inspiration for this off-season interview series. So we've heard from Bobby already about a week ago, and we would be remiss if we didn't bring Chad on to to get some of his takes as well. And Chad, I'll also tell you that you're uh, one of only two individuals that we've interviewed that has his own Wikipedia page. So Welcome, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us to kind of continue on in our off-season interview series. Who's the other one? Sean Grandy. Of course. No, okay. Yeah, that one actually makes sense. Mine does. I think I think some BU kid or something uh, made mine as part of a journalism project. That is, it, that's, that's the only way it would make any sense. But it, it's hilarious yeah, because Grandy, Grandy poked at me, and he goes... Yeah, so basically you've run down through the Wikipedia page, <laughs> which was hilarious because he was all over it. I mean, I did have it open. It was, well, I mean, why not? It's a great resource. So I checked to see if you had one. And one of the things that I love about the opening, and for everybody that doesn't know, they're about to find out about the Maine connection because all three of us are from the great state of Maine. But right at the top, it says he often appears as a guest on New England sports and talk radio programs such as The Big Jab, which is the one that I listen to the most. Day, uh, you know, David Schumacher and uh, Joe Palmieri in the morning, and they had me on after they saw me uh, in the movie Return to the Rafters. They started having me on as their regular guest for a number of years before John and I took our break. But uh, um, it's just funny to see that. It's like it, you, there had to be a main reference in terms of your contributions in the opening paragraph. Yeah, well, it's uh, I guess it's one of my distinctive things here in Boston is, uh, uh, you know, you guys, you guys know, and the few other people who are down there from Maine, uh, you know, Gary Tangway is one, Dale Arnold, but uh, we try to distance ourselves from those guys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I went to Maine, and uh, I still live in Maine. I live in Wells, um, so I have a little over an hour commute into Boston when I go in a couple times a week. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, probably one of the things that makes me sort of an outlier is that I, uh, you know, I don't live in uh, South Boston or something like that. Uh, I actually uh, go a couple states to go to work. Well, I'm familiar with a similar drive. I was always driving in initially from Saco, and then um, mm-hmm. the, it, we were talking with Chris Forsberg a little while ago. Uh, I think he was two guests ago in the series, and he was talking a little bit about uh, you know his commute in from from Worcester and his early start, and how the two of you actually wound up. Uh, working side by side during his internship time with the Globe and Boston dot com, and so I was. I said to him, you know, that I was amazed, you know, that that you still made that kind of a commute in, you know, from Maine, which was, you know, good on you because it is a drive. It is, yeah. We actually worked uh, exactly across from each other. Me and Forsberg. He was he was actually at Boston dot com full time before I was. Um, I was at the. I came in at the Globe and worked as a copy editor and page designer and uh, sort of put the help put the section together each night while 
Chris was already at Boston.com. And, uh, you know, we worked together there for a couple of years before he jumped over to ESPN Boston, but we were literally directly across from each other. And I have to say, I beat him in more often than not. I, uh, coming down from Maine, wherever he was coming from, I, I, I'd usually get him by a good half hour, but, uh, Forsberg being Forsberg, he would come in and knock out three quick posts and then uh, do what he had to do, uh, you know, while I was still figuring out what I was going to do with my day. So, uh, yeah, he's, you, uh, did, he's, you did the 93 to route one is why. That's a clean clean route. Yeah. Now, yeah, Forsberg's one of the greats. We're just a great guy and uh, somebody everybody would want to work with. So uh, I was lucky to do that for a while. You mentioned distancing yourself from some of the other uh, heralded main uh, contributors to the Boston sports scene, but something that we had to revisit, I almost had to cut the conversation off a little bit before we got started. I don't mind telling the listeners what happens in the background. This is a podcast. We're all open and honest here, but you know, one of the things that's happened for a lot of the, the sports broadcasters, I don't want to say sports journalists, but sports broadcasters, it's almost like you have to create this character, and that's what drives ratings and revenue. It's been a topic in a lot of these off-season interview series, is, and even early on, I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but we were having the conversation around, you have to kind of decide you know, where your integrity point is and what you're going to be and what your career is going to be about, yeah. because people are pretty unforgiving. Once you become a character, you can't go back to being genuine you anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. It's absolutely true. Um, but, I, you know, sometimes I'm astounded at how the character fools people into uh, into making them believe that it's actually real. I mean, Gary Tangway is probably a prime example of that. That uh, he, he, he's, uh, he's a willing punchline, and he's a guy who throws around uh, opinions that come out of left field that are, are sure to get a reaction. Um and getting a reaction is better than getting no reaction at all, even if, even if the reaction is, God, what an idiotic take that was, uh, which tends to be what he gets a lot. But if you look at his career, he's been in Boston uh, since the 80s. Uh, you know, he's in uh, New England for a long time. Um, he is someone who is very uh, sort of straight-laced. I mean, if you saw him on Channel 4 back in the day, you saw him on Comcast and all the Celtics coverage. You saw, you heard him on the radio with uh, on 98.5 doing the pre- and post-game shows. He was just, he was just uh, uh, right across the board, just sort of a normal person, regular person. And uh, it's like he flipped a switch. And I think he flipped that switch with the advice of Kirk Minahan. That's, uh, that's what I've always heard, where he told him, at sort of a crossroads in Tangway's career that uh, you got to have more edge. You've got to be someone who uh, people notice. And uh, I don't know what the point in Tangway's mind was that made him think he needed to do that, but he did do it. And uh, it, uh, he's created this entire character based on it. And you're right, you can't go back. But I think more people have talked about Gary Tangway in the last year than they did in, what, the first 20 years of his career in, in, in Boston. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right, Chad, and that's you know that says a lot about where we are right now. Which is, well, if we could go political, I guess, and what our current political status is. But you're right. I mean, that's it. Seems like the people who say the outrageous things get the most attention, and mm -hmm. and they're the people we 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 pay attention to and listen to broadly. I'm saying, um, and and they seem to to drive that, which I think 
person yeah. who feels, you know, when we got started here, we were really a reaction to that and saying, you know, isn't there a place for <laughs> competent, reasonable talk about the things we want? There's more than enough to talk about in our minds about the Celtics or, or and, and we've seen that with other, I mean, Carabas has the, the Section 10 pod and, you know, Spears. And, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of, of podcasts really have, have sprouted up, I think, really much more out of the mindset of let's just have a reasonable conversation about things and not have to be so bombastic and, you know, live in that talk yeah. sports talk radio world that uh, you know, people listen to. But I think a lot of people don't want to listen to, I hope. Yeah, bombastic, <laughs> in, a, bombastic in a lot of ways is um... – sort of a kind of a cop-out for people where you go into that mode because you just don't want to put the work in to uh, actually be original and interesting and to draw an audience that way um, or knowledgeable or uh, offering something that somebody else isn't offering. Uh, like I said before, and like uh, you, you guys kind of said too, um, it's, it's uh, just way easier to be someone throwing a crazy opinion out there and getting the natural reaction to that positive or mostly negative. Um, as long as they know your name and know who you are, that uh, seems to matter more than actually doing quality work or having interesting things to say. And, uh, you know, maybe the title turn again on that at some point, maybe there will be backlash, but uh, someone who covers the media for the globe, I kind of monitor that and uh, kind of watch the ratings and see what does well and see what doesn't. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the um, more absurdist approach to things that tends to be uh, the most effective thing, at least in the, you know, in the age that we're in right now. Yeah, that's no, that's true. Well, you know, kind of shifting gears then. I mean, let's let's talk maybe about how you got started and, you know, uh, you're a you know mid coast guy like myself. Uh, you know, you played for the I think well uh, well considered and and still highly thought of more shipbuilders uh, basketball teams from the '80s that I think a lot of us watched and 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 in awe as the the line changes went into uh, demoralized teams from all over the state class. A. Eh? Um, you know, how did you get your start? I mean, I certainly played sports as a kid. Um, what what made you think that you know going into sports sports journalism was was really your uh, the the type of thing you thought you could see yourself doing in the future? Yeah, it's such a cliche. I mean, I, I figured it out pretty early, um, probably more than earlier than uh, most people do. End up uh, whatever career they they, they end up choosing. Um, I just love sports from the get go. My dad was a huge sports fan, still is. Uh, I kind of got on board with the Red Sox when I was eight, uh, eight years old, and uh, that was 1978. Uh, not a great year, as it turned out, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was hooked and uh, became a huge Fred Lynn fan, Butch Hobson fan. It was such a, it was kind of the kind of team that the young kids today probably have with this Red Sox team, where just so many appealing uh, players entering the prime of their career. Um, and so I uh, became a huge sports fan that way. Um, about, uh, right around that time I started playing basketball and fell for that. Uh, still my favorite sport. I probably write more about baseball, but, uh, baseball and basketball are my two, two sports loves. And, uh, I was never really good at baseball. Um, just, uh, faded out when I was, when I was in high school and knew I wasn't going to get far, uh, but I didn't want it to be out of my life. And, um, so I, I, I liked my English classes. I had really good English teachers. 
and decided uh, I like to write. I've always liked to read. I like sports, uh, and uh, that seems to add up to being a sports writer. So I went to college uh, with that in mind and started working at the paper at UMaine when I was a freshman. Um, sort of lost a couple of years in there where I did other things, but went back to it as a senior and then uh, as a senior again. And uh, <laughs> my five and a half years in college. And uh, um, sort of honed my writing ability then, I guess. Had the real good fortune of covering the UMaine hockey team that went 42-1-2 uh, with Paul Korea and won the national championship. And uh, Sean Walsh, the late hockey coach up there, was an absolute godsend for somebody like me. I mean, uh, he was accessible and he was bombastic and, uh, he, he had thin skin at sometimes, but the thickest skin you could imagine at other times. And, uh, he gave the time of day to somebody like me because he knew the importance of, uh, getting the, the college community involved with your program and making a great atmosphere. So he sort of used the school paper for that. And, uh, that gave me, uh, I got a lot of time with him. And I remember, remember one time I wrote, uh, Sports Illustrated had called him a, a, a snake oil salesman, like a you know con artist, a guy who pulled the wool over people's eyes. And uh, I'm in the office one day and, and uh, work at the student newspaper up there, and my phone rings and it's Walsh, and uh, I pick it up and he, he says, "What the f is a is a snake oil salesman?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, you know, it's a, it's a con artist, a guy who, who tricks people, uh, sort of deceptive." And it's, it's, this quiet moment on the phone for a second. He's like, all right, practice is a four. You know, he, he took it as a compliment, more or less. <laughs> those, things just didn't, those things just didn't uh, matter to him. And uh, as a young journalist, I was really blessed to cover that, a good team and compelling personalities. And uh, honestly, covering that team probably got me my first job out of college, which was uh, the Concord Not Monitor in New Hampshire as the assistant sports editor. started writing there, uh, came to the Globe in 2003 to – uh, work as a layout person, and uh, I remember the sports editor hired me at the time, Don Squar, who was there for like three months of the time that I was. I think if I ran into him on the street now, he'd probably have no idea who I was, but he hired me, and uh, we. I remember my interview, all he really asked me was, uh, do you want to write? And I, you know, I'd won a few awards in New Hampshire and uh, sort of emerged as a columnist there, too, and um, started getting some notice for that. So, like Bruce Allen's website always linked to me and uh, mm-hmm. really helped, I think, in that regard. And um, I, he asked me if I wanted to write score, and, and I said uh, no. And he said, well, that's the right answer because the, the line's a mile long. I want you on the desk. And, uh, you know, basically sounded like he was ending my writing career. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was cool with that. It, 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 well, it's where I wanted to be. And uh, the money was a lot more. And uh, sort of my dream to work there. That was a paper my dad brought home every day when I was a kid. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I was cool with it at the time, but then, then the, uh, Red Sox won the world series that year. Patriots won the Super Bowl my first year there. And I have an outlet to write about it. And it kind of ate me alive a little bit. You know, I've been writing about the Red Sox for probably 10 years at that point. And, uh, 2003 was devastating and, and they, they go on to win in 2004. And I didn't have a venue to write about any of that. And so I, I think it was November, 2004, I started my blog and, uh, that sort of led me into, I had some success with that. Um, and it led the globe and boston.com into recognizing that maybe I should be doing it for them. And, uh, so that's how I ended up writing on that side of the fence. And, kind of been some version of that same sort of thing for about 10 years now. Well, a long-winded answer. 
Well, we, we, I want to go back a little bit too. And I, I definitely want John to follow up with you on Bruce Allen, because that's somebody that John worked closely with or was working with when Celtic stuff live brought him on as a, a guest. And then eventually as a co-host, but I got to go all the way back to you, Maine and say, don't feel bad about your five and a half, because I definitely spent six years there and, and did a part-time year myself. I, I started out in that chemical engineering program, got a 10 on my first chemistry test. It ate me alive there. So there's something about you made, you know, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's revenue generation. I don't know, but, um, but then we, then you go to Sean Walsh who, I mean, really coach Winkin did great things for that university, but, but Sean Walsh really just created something out of, you know, the program. I mean, it was the yeah. baseball. You can understand how Winkin had had some success, but getting hockey where Sean Walsh got hockey was just taking anything Winkin had done and, and even taking it to another level. I mean, to be on the national stage, you know, baseball, there were some limitations to what you could accomplish, but, but hockey was a perfect marriage of opportunity with, you know, well, the snake oil salesman, because he probably was when he started. He had to get there somehow, and his ability to recruit was amazing, and you talked a little bit about, you know, his, his impact and, and sort of his um, brash attitude towards that but he had some per- you know the way that that all went down the end of his career and his life at UMaine was kind of a kind of tragic really and i don't know if there's even a book out there about it but obviously he went through some personal stuff and then was diagnosed with cancer and it all happened very quickly you were gone by the time that had developed weren't you right yeah i, I graduated in uh, 94 um and so i covered the two years that I covered were winning the oh. championship and then the fallout uh, when they, uh, the next year when uh, Korea was off at the Olympics and uh, the Faro brothers weren't around either. And um, uh, one of them wasn't around and uh, they had some uh, scandal about uh, athletes. I think it was grad student athletes who weren't taking enough courses. They were taking like one course. So they ended up having to forfeit a bunch of games and, you no, know, Walsh tried to pull the wool over the eyes with the athletic department, the compliance office, and he was certainly complicit in it. But uh, it kind of goes back to your point where uh, he had to hustle. He really did to turn that humane program from basically being, you know, like Division One version of Colby College in terms of hockey uh, or, or smaller. I mean, those are the schools they used to play in the 70s to um, a national power. And in my opinion, I mean, uh, it's got to be the greatest single hockey team in the history of uh, college uh, college athletics. So um, that doesn't come by just being another coach or another uh, taking a, a the standard approach to recruiting. You've really got to got to have some extra fire there and maybe uh, maybe bend a few rules too. The, I was good friends with the sports information director up there. We grew up together, uh, Matt Burke, when I was there, and he used to tell me all kinds of off the record Walsh stories <laughs> like. Uh, uh, when they were recruiting Paul Korea, he knew Korea hated like big city life and, and traffic and uh, just the, the the idea of cars being all over the place. He, Maine reminded him of where he was, uh, where he grew up, which is in uh, North Vancouver. Um, and all so of his brothers and sisters him. wound up at UMaine as well to play field hockey, and, and Steve played hockey. So, Yeah, I mean, they need more Koreas. They need the next generation yes. that's going to turn the hockey program around, but the, the wall story that, that one of the ones that I heard was uh, Korea narrowed it down. He was a real smart kid and he narrowed it down to Boston University. 
Maine and Harvard, and uh, Harvard was really coming on heavy. And so Walsh is riding back from Boston with, with Matt Burke driving from some media day event or something like that. He's dictating uh, to the person in the back uh, a letter to Korea trying to, knock, to, trying to close the, the recruiting. And uh, it was, Dear Paul, just sitting here in Boston traffic, and uh, it began like that. You know, they're going like 85 miles an hour north on 95 at the time. But uh, whatever you got to do, you know, work. They got them for a year and a half and uh, it lost like, uh, what, uh, three, five, five games or something when he was there. So um, it's, uh, I'm sure there are even more illegal versions of that story that, uh, that, that you can hear. But it was a great time to be humane and not to, to go too far off the reservation. That was that was great. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right, and and I don't know if people can outside of maybe Maine can really appreciate that because there really is no other game in town at that point. I mean, the Sea Dogs weren't in town. The Maine guides, I don't know if I think they had left by then or it was around that same time. And I know you follow the Maine yeah, guides. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was the only game in town. There's nothing else sports wise. There was nothing in the state of Maine, and it really just captured the whole state. I mean, the high school basketball is a isn't big that when deal, they tried to bring the lumberjacks but, through? I don't mean to cut you off, but isn't that no, when they no. tried to pull off the Bangor lumberjacks? That was before. That was the '80s, early '80s. Yeah, CBA. I don't know. I thought yeah, that came around again yeah. later, but okay. Yeah, but they, you know, they basically this it captured the whole state, and it said, I mean, as Chad said, this is the, this was the biggest. This is the, maybe the best college hockey team there ever was. I mean, you know, you have a Hall, NBA, NHL Hall of Famer. You've got, you know, of course, we're sitting here on an NBA podcast talking about this. But <laughs> the point is, I mean, it was it was a huge deal. And so uh, to be at the, at the at the have a front seat for that, Chad, is, that's that's amazing. Um, when when you work at the main campus, though, I mean. Talk about – talk about – I hate that when people do that, and I just did it. But why Why do you – How? what's the difference that as you were starting as – what were the skills that you learned as a writer now that you don't even have to use now? What are the things that – you know? it was part and parcel of your job. I mean from the mechanics certainly of maybe computers not even be as big of a deal when you were first starting at the main campus to – well, today we are working at Boston.com. I mean, has the mechanics of the job changed tremendously over that time? How much have you had to adapt to the changing market and, and the changing world that we're in? Yeah, I mean, it has a lot because you didn't have Facebook, Twitter, social media back then. And uh, that's such a huge factor in everything now, not just promotion of your own work, but uh, connecting with the readers uh, and uh, – uh, sorting, uh, you know, the the word that Darren Ravel types of the world uses, uh, uh, you know, a brand, uh, that that sort of thing. And uh, unfortunately, back then, all you were was a byline in the newspaper, for better or worse, and you built your, your reputation that way. If you were lucky, you became a columnist, you got your little mugshot in there, the, the little dot matrix thing in the globe that Shaughnessy and Ryan and those guys had for, for so long. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, now, nowadays is, there are just so many more elements to it, and uh, they're, they're elements that are piled on top of what the job used to be. It's not like you shed things to add these other new things. It's just, oh, you got to do this too. You got to do video. Um, we need you before the game here. We need you after the game. We need five uh, takeaways. Uh, and then you can do your actual work for the newspaper, for the website, or whatever it is. So 
um, just uh, so much more to it nowadays. Less time, I think, to get stuff out and uh, to 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 uh, get that stuff out into the world. You, you you the turnaround is so quick because you're doing it for a web audience that um, mm-hmm. maybe you don't have the time to contemplate things like you used to. So. Uh, you know, the writing skills and the basic journalism skills that you learn in college and uh, just the technicalities of how to do the job, those are the same, but the job itself has changed in a lot of uh, lot of ancillary ways that uh, that, that uh, uh, everyone now uh, don't seem like they're, they're about to slow down. It's always uh, new things being added. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you saw a situation in 03 where, in 04 where you needed an outlet <laughs> you know, you need to find a way to get this, get this out of your, you know, out of your head and onto the page. And, um, you know, the touching all the bases blog. I mean, that's something that, of course, that's how I got kind of started in this was, as Justin said, I started my own blog kind of doing the same thing. I'm, you know, I didn't go to Boston.com, but you know, the same idea of, you know, that, that was, it opened this door for everyone to be able to the blogging world and to be able to open this door to, to you know, kind of crack, uncrack these, you know, these people that have things to say, but we don't have the dot matrix, you know, headshot in the Boston Globe. We've got things that we can offer, and some of them were hackneyed and and terrible, but but some like yours were widely read. I mean, oh my gosh, I you you know, you were obviously a, a a favorite link on on my browser, and I would always check, you know, what you had going. Um, that was something that really kind of started to change the game and, and certainly it helped pave the way for you now to be, you know, widely read and probably one of the most popular communists in New England, I would think. Um, has Is that the type of thing where you think that, you know, if if you were 10 years younger, maybe you would have been still stuck on that copy desk for a bit longer? Or is it, was there a bit of a, a great timing for you in, in how that – talent and preparation and work all coming together in that same instance for you. Yeah. It's uh, I, I, you know, I think it's a much more democratic nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. We all know the Bill Simmons story where he was on the desk at the Herald. Yeah. <laughs> uh, had done some writing, you know, covered high schools, kind of the standard path. It's the path, same path, Michael Felger followed there. Uh, same path, Tony Maserati followed there, but, um, it wasn't for Bill, and uh, whether it was because he knew that he was uh, or desired to do something else, or, or just didn't want to be patient, or or recognized uh, his own talent, sort of had the foresight to see there was another way. Whatever, um, however you look at it, he was kind of the guy that opened that door back in the late '90s, um, as the, the the web was exploding and. Uh, the, the power of it and the, the, the readership uh, on there uh, just exploded uh, as well. Uh, Bill sort of opened the door for a lot of people like me to, to see that there might be another way. I would have never had the vision to do it. And um, my my own career, I mean, I, I still stayed on that path for a long time. And, and in some ways I am. I've sort of done it both ways. I've stayed in the newspaper world, um, but uh, also uh took to the web out of um, out of the desire to write and out of not having the outlet that I wanted within the context of the job I had at the time. And uh, with Bill, he, he, I think he inspired a lot of people. And now there, there are a million writers you guys probably read every day that uh, have never set foot inside a newspaper. There are probably 
um, whether it's your example or the Celtics blog or mm-hmm. um, you know, Pat Pulpit or all, all the stuff mm-hmm. that uh, has a real good reputation and a lot of readers and does quality uh, voluminous work, um, those things didn't exist 20 years ago. And it's a great thing that they do now. Uh, I think the best and the hardworking tend to survive. The, the, the ones who uh, put in a ton of time and effort and, and just maybe don't have the talent. I think they still find an audience. Uh, if you have talent, but don't put in time and effort, uh, you're not really going to find an audience. But if you do both, if you're uh, offering something distinctive or unique or entertaining or appeals to people in some way, and you do it a lot and you're consistent about it and uh, you build the trust of the reader that if they check in on you, they're going to have something good to read or watch or listen to. Um, you'll be all right. You can carve out a niche nowadays, and in some some situations, you can carve out uh, even more than a niche. You can carve out a career. With me, it was I already kind of had the career. I kind of copped out into it. You know, there are people who I, I hear from sometimes who say, um, say, see, he made it as a web guy, but really, I I did, but I had one foot in the door already at the Globe. I actually had two feet in the door. It just wasn't. Uh, wasn't the door within the building that I wanted to have it in at the time. But uh, um, a lot of people have done it in a lot harder and a lot more difficult uh, sort of way than I have, and I I couldn't have the uh, more respect for them than I do. All right, we're talking with Chad Finn from Boston.com. Real quick, a word from our newest sponsor, Audible.com. Okay, Chad, there was a couple of things that you just said. I had a lot of thoughts. I was kind of penning them as you were going. But I think the first one is a theme that's been playing out in a lot of these interviews, which is the U-Main championship was sort of that luck slash opportunity that the timing just had to be right combined with your work ethic that you said, you know, that championship and, and the ability to have access to, to Coach Sean Walsh is really what you think maybe got you your first job. And I, I can definitely see that. That's often the case is great work ethic doesn't always mean that you're going to achieve your goals. Sometimes there's got to be a little bit of a, a stroke of luck. I think the other thing that you eloquently and really just glossed over but was this the added responsibilities that technology so it's this blessing and it's a curse the great thing is is you can do what both you and bill simmons did you have this maybe more traditional path you're taking but then it also opened up an opportunity for you to show people or showcase skills that maybe your boss didn't see i mean that happens all the time in professional careers where there isn't another outlet where you can safely go hey look i can do this and sometimes just the bureaucracy of where you work pins you down but in terms of technology the blessing the curse being now they expect a lot more of you and maybe listeners and the organization that corporate culture is more demanding of what you're able to provide it's like yeah well the technology allows you to do more now so you're expected to do more at the same time it's it it's what uh, got you where you are and then you said you kind of copped out into it but i really wanted to i, I wanted to tie it all together with really how you did a hybrid career you were able to take advantage of you know two different opportunities a traditional path which most likely gave you and maybe you could talk about a lot of connections to help grow your career but the internet and the web gave you the opportunity like i said before to showcase something that wasn't necessarily an opportunity for you but it created the opportunity 
Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, it, 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 sort of my job in New Hampshire was both uh, in terms of writing and then in terms of putting out the sports section five days a week. And so I got the job at the Globe because they needed someone to help put out the sports section to, to, to lay out pages and write headlines and uh, edit stories and uh, do everything in that sense. Um, and that was great because I like doing that too. But um, I, you know, I'd taken like a couple of years off from writing when I started in New Hampshire and I, I got back into it. I really liked it. And I had some success with it. My last year there, I won a bunch of writing awards in, in the New Hampshire Press Association. And it made me kind of realize maybe I should shoot for something else now. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I did. And uh, but the globe is so specialized, and at that point in time, it was still sort of a destination. You know, you uh, for a long, long time, the globe was always the place that everybody went to culminate their career. Um, it was nobody left, uh, and and as the web came along, and you know, ESPN.com came to life, and uh, Sports Illustrated continued being Sports Illustrated here in the, the late '90s, early 2000s. There was another step beyond the daily newspaper, and uh, people took it, and um, you know it opened uh, opened a few more doors there to write. But for the most part, when I got there, uh, people didn't leave their jobs. It's the lament Bill Simmons always had when he was at the Herald that uh, the, the the people had been there for a long time, and the the possibilities were new, were were uh, limited, uh, and that was his great frustration. I was happy to be there uh, because it was the, the the place I always wanted to work. And in that sense, it was a dream come true. But uh, like I said, the Red Sox, uh, Dave Roberts is stealing second base and, uh, you know, Keith folks getting Edgar Renteria to the ground out to end the World Series. And I'd waited my whole life to write about that sort of thing and uh, didn't have a way to do it. And that made me realize that I wanted to get back on the writing track again, right? Uh, and uh, uh, so I did. And um, it was funny, a year into it, um, my boss called me in as a new sports writer, Jeff Sullivan, who's a sports writer now still. And he called me and said, I hear you have a blog. And that, that, that tells you how wildly successful it was in the building. That, and he didn't even realize I was doing it for a year. Um, but uh, he called me and I hear, I hear you have a blog. And I was really low on the totem pole then. I thought I might get in trouble. And uh, he said, as long as you're not killing Shaughnessy, you can keep doing it. And, oh you know, he thought it was like some kind of media, um, you know, I was doing the media hatchet job thing that uh, has become more prevalent on, on uh, social media. But back then, it really wasn't any of that. And uh, I said, no, I'm just writing about baseball. And another editor looked at it and said, hey, this is pretty good. And, um, you know, my, my other big break, uh, I didn't get into it before, but it was when all, every, all the, the, the bleep hit the fan in and, and Boston sports and, uh WEI launched its website uh, and really ramped it up. I mean, we all remember like when Glitter Way used to make fun of websites and the blogs and all that. And all of a sudden they wanted to be a player in that and hired Rob Bradford and uh, hired like Michael Felger and a bunch of other people to, to staff it. Um, and at the same time, Comcast Sportsnet New England uh, was firing up what it does with a revamp website and hiring the insiders, quote unquote, uh, for TV uh, website dual jobs, Tom Kern, Sean McAdam, Haggerty, uh, and you know, they went after Chris Gasper real hard to be their Celtics guy, brought in Sherrod ultimately, um, but uh, they thought they were going to get DuPont from us. Um, and at the same time, roughly the same time there, ESPN Boston launched, took Mike Reese and built around him 
uh, tried to get Gasper from us, hired Forsberg away, hired the Boston.com sports editor, Dave Leeford away. So for us, it was uh, assault from all sides. And the, 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 the response um, within the global and the Boston.com was, we got to bolster this. And uh, the next step, I think, in their minds was, hey, Chad has a blog. He knows how to log into the Internet. We'll move him over. <laughs> and uh, really, that's what it felt like to me. And the other thing they did was uh, they hired Maz, um, hired him away from the Herald to be the quote-unquote voice of Boston.com, which lasted for maybe a year uh, before 985 launched and hired him away to be a co-host in the afternoon show. But Maz came over. So the two big hires are moving me over to, to write news and uh, to blog and for for uh, Nas to come over and write columns. And, you know, it worked, worked out okay. Uh, it was certainly good for me um, because uh, it was kind of a dream come true to have that for my actual job rather than something I was doing at 2 o'clock in the morning after I got home from Boston while waiting for my, you know, infant daughter to wake up. So... <laughs> Um, that uh, it was, it was uh, really rewarding when that happened. And I'm really fortunate that uh, it's still basically what I'm doing now. That's, boy, what a, <laughs> that's, that's a really interesting kind of path because, you know, I certainly as weird. It, it is weird. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> the, the shifting plate tectonics of, of the Boston sports media scene around that time you know going back to 04 when you you know you started there and and still the paper was king sports sports radio it was ei only uh you know the the paper yeah. you know it was still the globe and 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 that was when of course the ei had blocked the, the globe writers from being on there and you know it's just yeah it, it was, was mutual yeah. It was a it was a tug of war between the two, and then you know here you are. I don't know how many years later that is. You're talking about the whole thing breaking apart. Pangea went into you know seven different continents, and now of course everything's all broken up. Um, you know, and and now of course the other piece of this we we have we haven't really talked about this a lot. Uh, though we've talked about that scene, is that you're also the media writer, uh, sports media writer for, for for the Boston Globe, and so covering that now, you you have this kind of interesting piece where on the one hand you're covering the sports, but you're also covering the people who are covering the sports as well. Um, has was that a, an easy transition for you to make? Uh, and you know, kind of, did you? What was kind of the the model which you followed to to get down that road? Yeah, that was, uh, I guess, another um, fortuitous break uh, from waiting for those plates to shift, if you, as you eloquently put it. Um, nobody, you guys are not going to remember this, and none of your listeners will either. But uh, if Roughly around 2008, the Globe launched um, a, a weekly tabloid sports newspaper called OT. And I don't know how long it lasted, maybe a year and a half, but had an entirely separate staff from the Globe, uh, from the Globe newspaper. It was me, uh, Charlie Pierce, who I have no idea what became of that guy. Probably gave up writing. Um, Maz, uh was uh, Danny Picard, who you hear on EI yeah. now, was covered the Bruins for us. Um, Scott Souza, who covers the Celtics really well, I think he contributed that way. Uh, Tom Karen chipped in, but it was it was this real eclectic thing, as you can tell. And uh, um, I wrote a column for it, 
do like a back page column, kind of like SI does. And uh, I wrote a column lighting up WEI, just everything I ever wanted to say about them, uh, and then some. Um, uh, but why, uh, how their arrogance, the point was their arrogance would be challenged, uh, would, their arrogance would go away quickly, and so would their spot the top of the ratings um, if they ever got an actual challenger. Because at that point in time, uh, there were other sports radio stations in town, but you couldn't get the signal outside of the Zacom, more or less. So it was 890, which you know had Ryan Rossillo, it had Felger, it had uh, John Anik, who's gone on to a great career with you know, MMA as sort of their broadcasting face of, of, uh, mm-hmm. of that. Uh, Kevin Winters at ESPN does okay. Uh, Holden Kushner uh, is a big, big guy down in D.C. now. Real talented guys. Mike Salk, who was horrible, but they had him. Um, these, those guys, uh, but you couldn't hear the station and I would listen to it for the 10 minutes of my commute where I was in the city, uh, and think, God, I want to hear more of this. But, but, uh, EI signal was so vast that they dominated. They ate everybody alive. They ate 15, 10 alive. And Sean McDonough was over there. Um, mm-hmm. just, they, they devoured their competition because the competition couldn't measure up rating, uh, in terms of signal. Uh, so in uh, August 2009, 98.5 comes along. I wrote this column probably in June 2009, uh, having no idea whatsoever that uh, uh, CBS Radio is planning on launching a sports station here. Uh, they came in on FM. They hired Felger, uh, Maserati. Basically, basically this, the, this, the roster they have now, other than they've had a few changes in midday. Scott Zolak was, was there, still is. And uh, within, I want to say, six months, they had surpassed WEI, which had a stranglehold on the ratings for years and years and years. Uh, and there were massive ratings. Um, and so everything I wrote in that original column basically came true. Um, and my boss sort of took notice of this and said, uh, you know, the Globe Media column, which uh, was founded by Jack Craig uh, back in the 70s, late 60s maybe, but the 70s, and really he created the genre. He was the global media columnist. He was the SI media columnist too um, and created this whole genre. It sort of petered out at the Globe. Uh, you know, a couple of – Bill Griffith had it, and it was really successful. Howard Manley had it. It was successful. But after those guys, um, really just sort of was something that was there and uh, – yeah, I think they were trying to make a decision whether they should keep it, and they they offered it to me, uh, sort of based on that column and another column I wrote, sort of praising Mike Gorman, and uh, I I was really excited to do it. I thought it would be a cool gig, and uh, they offered me that, and I've had it ever since. And it is a cool gig; it's really fun, and uh, uh, sort of runs parallel to the the actual sports writing that I do for Boston.com and the. Occasional features I do for the Globe and for the Globe magazine, but uh, um, it's something I, I, I'm taken aback sometimes by how there are people who only recognize me for one or the other that don't, don't really know I do the media, but know I write about all the sports, Boston.com, or there are people who think I just write a media column once a week, and uh, it's kind of really cool, I guess, to have sort of two identities within uh, you know within one job. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and first of all, anytime you talk about a positive piece about Mike Gorman, obviously that gets that gets good pub on Celtic Stuff Live. So <laughs> you, you, that's all you needed to know right there. Sean Grandy's cringing right now as he hears this. But he but um, he did but, but but he did also flatter your boy Bill Simmons a little bit too, John. So you know maybe you know there's always a yin to the yang. 
Well, you know, as long as <laughs> as long as Bill has me blocked on Twitter for he, he said he blocked me about like nine. Well, let's see, about seven years ago he blocked me on Twitter. So Bill, Bill, you know, ah. I yeah, you know, he's he's a little bit thin skinned. We've so. tried to petition through Sean Grandy yeah. by exposing <laughs> the irony of blocking a blogger that has actually done some pretty good work. I, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, you, you don't feel like you get where you want to get it at the Herald, and then you go off and have this awesome career. You shouldn't be blocking my boy John. That's all I'm saying. I, I think there's a yeah, lot. Yeah, he just like push back a lot. No, there's a long list of of people far more with better credentials than I were blocked by Bill Simmons. So that's okay. He's he's got his 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 uh, L.A. Uh, you know success, and that's good for him. Uh, but uh, hey, you know that's what we got here. And you know, I I, I want to go back though to, to something you said, Chad. We were talking about how you know you kind of saw where basically sports radio was going to go, which is toward 98.5 and the diminishing of EEI. And, you know, looking at, you know, a lot of people are listening to this. And, and this one thing Justin's done a lot in the interviews he's talking about is like trying to give advice to people. And the, as people are kind of starting their career and things have changed so much. I mean, from when you're covering the, the 42, one and two black bears, you know, to here we are, you know, 23 years later, um, I mean, sports radio has has changed dramatically in the last seven eight years here in in Boston. Never mind blogs and social media. Um, you know, where do you see right now is the kind of the growth area for sports media, and where do you think the jobs are right now? We've we've you know, Justin was just talking with Bobby Manning, who's 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 a host here on CLNS Radio. Where do yeah. where should people coming out of you know Syracuse and 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 Columbia and all these good good journalism schools be you? Um, we, we just talked to Chris Forsberg, went to Northeastern and obviously worked with you. Where should these guys be looking? Where do you think is is the growth area for people who want to talk about sports? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, individually, um, you almost got to do it on your own in a lot of ways to create your own website to. Uh, promote the hell out of yourself, you know, to to uh, uh, get your name out there before you have the, that backing of a company that actually hires you. I mean, there there are a lot of different ways to do it, depending on what you want to do, what you aspire to be. I mean, uh, there's kind of this long form website phase about a year ago, and I think uh, some things that happened at SB Nation in particular uh, kind of damaged that. You know, Grantland. Uh, uh, Shutting down with, with when Simmons departed ESPN, um, the, I think some of maybe the I don't know the luster a lot was lost a little bit on that. But if you want to be a long form writer, get out there and find your own stories. Uh, and there there will be outlets for those that actually pay pretty well. If you want to think you want to be on TV, there's a million different ways to do video stuff. Uh, access I think is better now that uh, the Celtics are especially good about giving access to. Uh, blogs and, and, and websites, if those websites prove that they do quality quality work and prolific work, uh, you know, Patriots and uh, Red Sox and others have come around a little bit slower. But you have a chance out there really to make a mark without um, without having that enormous initial backing from the New York Times or Sports Illustrated or ESPN or uh, Washington Post or, or SB Nation or any big brand. Um, 
but uh, really it's just about your own hustle right now. In terms of what I do, I think I think the job that I have is actually one of the interesting growth areas in covering the media mm-hmm. um, because you'll see downward trends like in uh, game story, people reading game stories of the traffic on that sort of thing. But um, I, I can almost cherry pick topics knowing that they're going to be huge hits traffic wise. Uh, if it's some, something about the, the two radio station competitions or something ripping somebody <laughs> on ESPN, you know, a good shot at Ray Lewis always goes a long way or Chris Berman. Uh, if I wrote about those guys, uh, there would always be big traffic things in Boston, even if they weren't Boston related. And uh, I think that has kind of become the fifth sport. I don't know if it's that way in every market, but it is around here. You listen just to what, uh, you know, it's on Kirk Minahan's podcast uh, earlier this week as we're recording this. And, uh, it was all media gossip, media talk, and that's the same sort of thing that they do on that show. And uh, it's beneficial to them because it turns their people into sort of characters and almost celebrities in some some sort of bizarre way. Uh, but uh, it also it's it's just testing out as something that people want to talk about that people are interested in. And um, so I, I think uh, you know I think media coverage as a whole is is a pretty good growth area there as well. But you know there are more op- there are less great paying jobs nowadays than there were when I was getting into the business. But uh, um, there are more opportunities if you're going to hustle and go out there and try to seize them and to, to make the career you want to have, even if it's uh, not a conventional one. Absolutely. What What do you think? It, again, we I and I would wholeheartedly agree with you, your advice in terms of the Celtics beat. I mean, we were Celtics blog and 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 really Justin predominantly. You were I think we were the first. I think the Celtics were the first team to offer credentials. Justin, step in here if I'm wrong here. The first could offer the credentials to to new media, you know, and and really Justin yeah. being the one to do that. And and now others, as you said, slowly have fallen suit, followed suit, um, and podcasts. I mean, podcasts are just blown up. Everybody's got a podcast. I mean, my God, when we started, yeah. you, you, no one even knew how to get a podcast. Now, everyone's, everyone's yeah, got we used podcast. to be special. We, we used to be, we used to be special, <laughs> and now I'm bitter about it. No. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> get off my lawn, <laughs> right in Jays. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but. What do you think? Who are present company excluded? But but who do you think are who are some of the your favorite podcasts? Maybe not just locally, but also nationally. Who are there? Are there guys you listen to? You got a long commute. I know. You, I know you got to listen to sports radio, but do you get the podcast as well? I do. I, it's weird though. I, I tend to listen to the radio shows on podcast form because um, I kind of have to have to listen to them. It's like the hazard pay on my job, and uh, so. <laughs> You know, what I'll do is I'll listen to, like, one of the shows on the way in. Uh, usually usually it's Stannis and Callahan because I pick it up earlier. Uh, like, I don't get 95 till I get to the York Toll, which is 15 minutes from my house. So I'll start out with Dennis and Callahan. If they're talking too much about Trump or how much they hate, uh, you know, Obama or calling Pedro Martinez a punk or that sort of thing, then I'll switch it over. But generally I'll listen to whichever show is more interesting at the moment or has better guests. Um, I tend to listen to the 98.5 shows on my way home in podcast form because you can knock them out in like 37, 38 minutes each and uh, sort of skip through what you might uh, catch up on what I might have missed in the morning, not being out the door at 6 o'clock. And uh, uh, 
doing it in sort of a quicker, more efficient sort of way. But yeah, I was on Felger and Maz and Holly and uh, Gil Arnold on the way home. And um, in terms of podcasts, I listen to Simmons, I listen to Zach Lowe. I like a lot of the NBA ones. Um, trying to think, Jonah Carey sometimes. Uh, it was a Better Call Saul one I liked for a while, but they just they didn't really talk about the show. They talked about making the show, which is really boring. So. Uh. Uh, stuff like that, you know. It, uh, Better uh, Call Saul is great. I think the well, I think the yeah, one it's a great show. Oh, it's such a great show. But I think you know. I think the the show that you were searching for, you seemed like you were forgetting one. And and I, I'm just gonna help you. It's it's Celtic stuff live that you were searching for uh, there. <laughs> oh, no, I never. I've never heard of that. Is that something uh, <laughs> you familiar with? You you guys know about this? It's, no, it's, I listen to all those too. I listen to, especially during basketball season. I mean, I, I think NBA for some reason really lends itself to what you guys do, and you know what Jay and uh, and John Carlos do, uh, and uh, um, various other people here. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I my the NBA yeah. podcasts are my favorite of all of them. It's weird. I I don't have a baseball one that I really like. I don't know why that is because I really like baseball, but uh, you know, Buster Olney one is boring as hell, and. Um, yeah, because you, I like be, you know what one I like. I like Tom Curran's Quick Slants one. That's real good. Yeah, and the Quick Slants. Yeah, <laughs> quick he's good. You, yeah, here's he the question. Here's the question I want to ask you too, Chad, because we talked about it before. It's like just moments ago about how we were the only thing going there for a while, but now pretty much anybody can have one. Do you find that the the themes become too redundant because it's your job to listen to all this? Like you said, you cover it. So, do you, do you find yourself struggling a little bit with the, with trying to keep up with the content? One of the offline conversations John and I had uh, was basically similar conversation, which was there's so many of them now. So, you know, how do we stay unique? How do we do what we do and what's you know what separates us? And then how do we format the amount of time we expect our listeners to listen to us just knowing that they may be listening to other Celtics-centric shows that have similar themes and similar topics? It's like to listen to them all, there has to be some level of redundancy, uh, you know, especially maybe from your standpoint because, like you said, you're trying to keep up with everything too. I think it helps you guys uh, that it's it's team specific. That uh, maybe it narrows your audience, but it, it, uh, it it's it's something that's not going to have 500 other uh, podcasts from major media entities that are trying to do the same thing. Like if you listen to ESPN Fantasy Football podcast, you can get that at CBS Sports, you can get that at Yahoo, you can get it at uh, NBC, millions of other places where. Um, the team-specific stuff, I, I think it, it, it's probably easier to find a really dedicated audience. It's not going to be as big an audience as it would be for uh, just some sort of, you know, the, the, the Verticals, mm-hmm. general NBA podcast, J.J. Reddick's podcast or something like that. But uh, you're going to find a much more dedicated and, and uh, reliable and uh, returning audience with, with, with something like that. But I do agree. I think we've come to a tipping point. I think I, I can identify what the tipping point is with podcasts. It's now that Nesson's doing them now. They're doing. A, they decided apparently in September to do. Uh, hey, let's do a Red Sox podcast. You know, so uh, once uh, once they start firing them out, I figure we'll start doing them at Boston.com soon, and then uh, that will actually cover. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You let us know when you're ready, and CLNS Radio will produce it. And I'm not kidding. 
I want to do one. I just have no idea how to do it, and uh, I would need to figure out what I want to do. I mean, Menahan does what, what ideally what I would do, which is just talk to really interesting people. But he's so much better at it than I am. Um, you know, he's he's good at asking a really hard question, the question you wish uh, you wish that every host would ask, but maybe the host has a little bit more tact and doesn't ask it. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I think that would be that way. Um, where he, you know, he'll ask anything, and I, I think that's a huge reason for for that podcast particular success. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he's got the he's got the wide variety. He, the nice thing for him, he doesn't stay close. He doesn't stay just in sports either. But you know, one 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 good, I thought, really good uh, podcast guest he had that I thought was which I was somewhat surprised with was Jan Volk. Jan Volk, who. You know, honestly, it, it might be the most boring person who's ever been affiliated with the Boston Celtics. And they talked to him, he, uh, Kirk talked to him about really everything to do with the Len Bias situation. And it was fascinating. Yeah. It was, I, I was listening, to, I had this long drive to New Hampshire uh, late one night, and I was, uh, I was visiting family out there. And I'm listening to this thing, and I was like riveted. You know, and Kirk, I mean, he had great recall of, you know, the details of, right. you know, when the pick was and, and the kind of the give and take with Seattle over the pick and the whole thing. And it was, mm-hmm. it was great. And, and you're, I mean, Gerald you have Henderson. to have, yeah, the, Gerald Henderson, absolutely. And, and the issue with the contract and how that came to be it was, it was really a, a, a interesting read. But Kirk was able to kind of pull out a Jan, not just that, but also made the, made the topic interesting, which I think is, you know, a big part of it. The hosts have to be able to to be engaging for the people to listen to and, and be someone they're willing to invest 45 minutes in. And that's pretty precious time, you know, when you're in a car and, yeah. you know, all these different options out there. We're, we're not just competing against, you know, Rain and Jays. We're competing against Mark Maron and, you know, Nerdist. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a weird world. Right. But, you're right. You have to stay small enough. And Celtics fans, there's you know three, four, five, six different options, and yeah, you, know, you just hope you're one of them. But we'd love to have you in the CLNS family, though, Chad. Let us know. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Hey, stay tuned. You never know in this business how things are going to work out. So uh, yeah, it's uh, we'll see. We'll see where I am in not uh, three or four months. Things uh, things are always shifting. So yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh man. Well, so and, and I wanted to, one thing I wanted to get to, you know, before we, before we wrap the Celtics scene right now. Um, we've got you know certainly the, we've got Sean, we've got you know, Max, uh, Tommy, and Mike. I mean, we've really got we're we're it's an embarrassment of riches right now in terms of the the play by play voices. I, I really think that, that those covering the team. Um, where do you see the Celtic beat generally uh, going here over the next few years? Uh, Tommy's not going to obviously be able to do it forever. Scal has been involved. Any thoughts or insights in terms of where you see things going in, in coverage of the Boston Celtics? Yeah, I think Scal, I mean, uh, the fact that he was, bought or was building a house here is a pretty telltale sign that uh, that he, he nobody says it over there, but the, that he's lined up to be the successor. Um, for Tommy, so I, I guess it kind of depends. Sometimes I feel about Scal. I like him. Uh, I, I, he's not the most polished guy yet, but uh, he, you can tell he's really smart basketball guy. Sometimes he'll say things, and you're like, oh yeah, he was, you know, he's a 
playing league for 10 years or whatever it was, and a coach for the Warriors, and, and uh, was obviously very well thought of by Doc Rivers, by Garnett, guys like that. So uh, that comes through on TV sometimes, but I think he still needs a little bit more polish. But uh, seems like he's going to be here for a while. Um, Mike Gorman, I hope he's here forever. Uh, Grandy's a terrific broadcaster. He gets accused of being scripted sometimes, and uh, uh, maybe if he rolled that back slightly, uh, he would be better received, but he's still a terrific broadcaster. Uh, and I, I really, I've really, i come to like Max a lot. He's kind of like Eckersley on the Red Sox broadcast, where uh, he'll, he's a, a really uh, popular, well-liked former player who has the confidence and sort of the gravitas to say whatever he comes through his mind and Max has gotten so much better than he was at the beginning and uh, he wasn't really for the job ready for the job when he first got it I think he'd be the first guy to admit that but I think he's very good at it now I enjoy listening to him um, on my commutes uh, commutes home during the season and uh, uh, could be much much worse has been here with various other sports but right now uh, uh, the TV broadcast it's all the one we grew up with and that's a cool thing and uh, Tommy, I marvel at him still. You know, he's 81 years old um, and still loves the league like he did when he played in it, when he coached at it, and when he was uh, coaching it, when he broadcast uh, for CBS. He he can tell you the uh, the the, the, the backup shooting guard for the Kings. Uh, he could tell you that today, um, and uh, he goes home and watches the games uh, when the Celtics don't have one, and is still as passionate about it as ever. And uh, it's really remarkable that he has the energy that he has. You could almost see Kevin Garnett doing the same thing. He's destined for front office, and he has, you know, obviously made made way more money than Tommy did in his career. So his options are broader. But that that passion and that energy level, well into the eighties. I mean, you almost you, those two players very, very sort of similar in their energy level. That way, you could almost see KG doing the same thing. Garnett would have the ten F bombs in the first first quarter <laughs> that's true he would be you know mfing the referee as you're in but he'd take tommy to who's a whole different level in terms of yelling at the refs uh, from the sidelines so garnett's a brilliant guy he could do it he could be in a front office it's funny uh i don't know if this i ever reported this or they they mentioned it but i'm sure you guys saw the 86 documentary uh on the comcast did on the celtics and how good that was Correct. Narrated by Glenn Ordway, but the, the guy they originally wanted to do it was Garnett. I don't know why it didn't work out, but uh, really, the idea or the, wow. their 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 thought was to get KG to be the narrator for that, and uh, they thought they had a pretty good chance. I, I never found out why it didn't work. I think it was a logistics thing rather than him not wanting to do it. But uh, um, yeah, that would have been that would have been really cool in a way to tie the tie the generations together. Yeah, the two big three eras. That would have been amazing. Yeah, that was a thinking on it, too. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I guess it wasn't Comcast back then. It was uh, whatever. Jeez, I can never remember. Sports Prime Channel, Sports, uh, Sports Channel, New England. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, yep. uh, uh, of course, they had it when the 07, 08 Celtics won, and that was uh, that was Comcast. So, but, you know, Sports you Channel. Tommy nice poll, John. That's right. That yeah, was it was that, blocked for a while. All sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Spectrum, Prism. It was Prism. Prism, I think, when they first started. When Mike That's started, it was Prism. But, yeah. That was. I, I gotta say, that was that whole '86 doc was amazing. The the podcast that they you know they broke out the interviews, amazing. I mean, I just 
Those yeah. guys over there, Tori and and Jim Aberdale, those guys, awesome. That was that made my summer right they there. April love. Oh yeah, it was, a, it was a passion project for those guys, and uh, they you know they didn't didn't waste a second, you know didn't waste a moment of it. It was terrific. All right, Chad, we've taken uh, a good amount of your time, but I appreciate it. We got some. Some good discussion going a little bit off the general theme that we've been doing with the with the off season interview series, and I think part of that's because this is the first one, John. I think you've been part of, and it was uh, it was nice to get a different perspective than what I'd been kind of taking every single one of them. I mean, still a lot of the common themes, but some. I mean, Chad, you really remember a lot of people. And I think you've met a lot of them too, which has really helped your perspective. You know, one of the downsides to internet media too is that you lose that face to face. And because you've had that hybrid and because you cover it, you you really have a nice big picture view of the landscape. Thanks. I appreciate that. And you, you're right. Um, one of the things I found as I've gotten further into it is that it helps so much just to be there. I mean, this this isn't the you have to be in the clubhouse uh, after you rip somebody. It's not that, but I, I just found that if you're there, uh, people are more willing to BS with you, and you find things out that way. If uh, you're waiting in the Red Sox locker room, and you know one of the Netson guys is there, and you can, uh, yeah, how are things going? How's everything going? And you, you you tend to get the lay of the land that way off the record, but you get the institutional knowledge that you need and uh, that, that that's something I've learned uh, here in the last few years in the media is just show up because you'll, you'll find all kinds of stuff out if uh, people know your face. Yeah. And, and, and be friendly and uh, don't share the off the record stuff or you're done. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I don't do that. I mean, you know, my, my memory isn't as good as it used to be. So sometimes maybe I say things, uh, that I wasn't supposed to, but, uh, you know, I'm getting older, so I don't care as much either. <laughs> that's right. That's like the benefit is, uh, you know, that you, you could start dropping some yeah, KGF bombs of your own and, and, and let it slot. That's right. <laughs> Let's see what happens. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. You get jaded. Yeah, we'll see. Might be the next step. <laughs> Chad Finn, everybody from Boston.com. Chad, thanks so much for coming on and helping us close out this off-season interview series that's kind of carried into the preseason. You bet, guys. Great job. I've heard a couple of them, and it's always good to, 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 uh, to hear other people's stories, so I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you making time. All right, Chad Finn, everybody. You can follow him on Twitter at Globe Chad Finn and follow all of his work at Boston.com. Another great guest here for the off-season interview series that we're carrying in through the preseason. Um, just, just good stuff. Make sure you stay tuned. Celtic Stuff Live is going to be back on Monday. John and I returning to the airwaves to break down everything that's going on in training camp and, and preview some preseason games that we're going to be seeing next week. Really excited to see this product get back out on the floor. Looking forward to an awesome season with the Boston Celtics. And don't forget, stay tuned next Thursday. We're going to continue the interview series with Eric Weiss from DraftExpress.com and Sports Aptitude. This one's a real good one. I think you're going to enjoy it as well. 
And a reminder, the broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm at CSL underscore Justin, my co-host at CSL underscore Duke, and the entire Celtic Stuff Live page at CSL underscore Tweet Live. Thank you for tuning in, and you can help support this show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to us. And a reminder, today's show was brought to you by Audible.com and FanEssentials.net. They have a great deal for all you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting our show and the entire CLNS radio network. A big thanks to the loyal audience who makes it all worth while and for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.